Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another healing conversation brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey. Today we're talking with a very special guest, Benjamin Krem, an international lecturer and a longtime student of the Ageless Wisdom Teachings. He spent the last 30 years of his life talking about the emergence of a new spiritual teacher who will help humanity evolve to a higher level of consciousness. Now, Mr. Krem says humanity is at a point of crisis with environmental damage, natural disasters, and a staggering global economy. And there's a new teacher who will bring us knowledge and wisdom to help us overcome our problems. Mr. Krem says that teacher is Maitreya. And Krem says he's already spoken on American television. Welcome, Benjamin Krem. Let's begin. I'll be talking about Maitreya, the Lord Maitreya, the head and leader of our spiritual hierarchy. A group of incredibly advanced men who live in various parts of the world, but mainly in the Himalayas, the Andes, the Rockies, the Cascades, the Urals, the Gobi and other deserts of the world. And there they have lived for thousands of years. Most people don't know about the existence of the masters, but the masters certainly know who they are and why they're there and they are there. They are the kind of inner guide for humanity. They are men like us who have gone ahead of us in evolution and completed the journey on which all of us, whether we know it or not, are involved. And having reached the end of their journey, many of them, luckily for us, have elected to to stay on earth and and show us how to evolve to the point where they are now. This is not something that happens from one day to the next, but something that happens over a tremendous length of time. All of us have been on earth for perhaps thousands of years, each time manifesting as a man or a woman over and over again, and this process has brought the earth to a point of readiness for what the masters have to teach. And the masters are just like us, only they have gone ahead of us and and completed the journey while we are at some point along the way. The masters have reached a point in their evolution which requires their return to the everyday world. And this is the extraordinary thing which is happening today. Most people listening to this program probably know, perhaps believe, that we are entering a new age, a new cosmic cycle. We call it the new age, the age of Aquarius. They may not know why, how this takes place. It is a result from an astronomical point of view of what are called the precession of the equinoxes. But in layman's terms, much easier to understand, it is the movement round the heavens of our solar system in relation to the constellations of the zodiac. Our sun makes this journey in space, which takes 
approximately 25 to 26,000 years to complete, whereby it enters into the sphere of influence of the energy streaming from all the constellations. For the last 2,150 years, we have been in the age of Pisces because our sun was in that precise relationship with Pisces over those last 2,000 plus years. In that time, the sun has gone through the age of Pisces and is now entering into the age of Aquarius. So we are living in the rather difficult transitional stage between one age and another. The energies of Pisces are receding and the energies of Aquarius are gaining in potency with every day that passes. And you say that now it has reached a point where these energies are almost equal. These energies of Pisces and Aquarius are almost equal. Pisces energy is still a little bit stronger, yet right now you say the world is out of tilt. The world is out of tilt. The energies of Aquarius work in a very different way. They are the energies of synthesis. And as that proceeds, this world will become more and more unified. Uh, a synthesis will take place, synthesis which we hardly believe. Yet before that synthesis can take place, the energies of Pisces needs to recede as the new energies of Aquarius come in. And you say this is a wild ride as the as one energy recedes and the other comes in. All the things that were built from the energies of the past will now fall and fade away. Political structures break down, our economic structures, as everybody knows today, are breaking down fast. Religious enmities and and, uh, and difficulties are growing apace, and the world is now in a very delicate, difficult situation because of this confrontation, as we might see it, between the age of Pisces, or the energies of the age of Pisces, and that of Aquarius. People are divided. It's usually older people, and I am old, so I can say this about it. Uh, people, older people, tend to look to the past. They tend to be happy with the age of Pisces and what it has given to the world, and don't want it to stop. And so they hold on grimly to the old ways, the old ways which, in fact, have divided the world. They don't see it that way. They just see them as the ways they know, and they hold on to them. Younger people, on the other hand, and this is a growing condition, are ready for change, want change, desire change, hate the present, feel it's letting them down, <clears throat> providing nothing in which they can see themselves acting and working. And so the world is divided between the old ways, the old conservative, retrogressive ways of looking at, at life, and the more progressive, modern ways of looking at life of younger people. And that is a major struggle which is going on today in the world. So much so that it has brought the masters into the world to help us to get through this difficult period between the two ages. In June 1945, at the end of the war between the Allies and the Axis powers, between 39 and 45, at the very end of that war, Maitreya, the head and leader of our spiritual hierarchy, Masters, made an announcement that if humanity of its own free will would take the first steps to put its house in order, 
manifested himself in the age-old way in which the masters manifest, that is, by using the vehicle of a disciple, as the Buddha did 600 years before the Christ, he manifested through the Prince Gautama, and Gautama became, as is known today throughout the world, Gautama Buddha. Now Gautama was not the Buddha, but he was the vehicle for the Buddha. Overshadowed by the consciousness of the Buddha, he gave the teachings which have led to the creation of Buddhism and, and everything to do with Buddhism in the world. Likewise, 600 years later, Maitreya, who embodies what we call the Christ principle on this planet, and is therefore the Christ as far as Christians are concerned. Although he's known by other names in the East, he's known by Muslims as as the Imam Mahdi, and awaited by Muslims to come now or later as the Imam Mahdi. He's known by by uh, Hindus as as uh, Krishna or Kalki Avatar. He's known by Jews as the Messiah. Or he came to the Jews 2,000 years ago through Jesus as the Messiah and was not recognized. He was rejected and, and, and uh, was crucified. He's known to Buddhists and has been known to Buddhists since the time of Buddha as Maitreya Buddha, Buddha, the fifth Buddha. And he comes to the world for all of these groups and the non-religious groups. Religious groups tend to their, their teacher, the Christ, the Buddha, uh, Muhammad, uh, Krishna, as the the sole teacher of the world forever and ever. It's not like that at all. This is a shifting situation. Maitreya has been the world teacher in the hierarchy of masters for the last 2,000 years. Before that, the Buddha was the world teacher. Maitreya will be the world teacher for the next 2,500 years and be the first of all the great teachers to be such a, a world teacher for two succeeding ages. Now this takes place not mystically, not as some religious mysticism, but according to a plan and, and a, a way of teaching humanity, humanity's free will. Maitreya made that announcement in June 1945, and my information, which has set me on what I've been doing for over 30 years, is that the hierarchy of masters have already begun the process of returning to the everyday world, not all of them, but a large section of them. And Maitreya himself has been literally, physically, in the world since July 
the name that he had 2,000 years ago, the Master Jesus. Jesus, from this esoteric point of view, is not the Christ, but manifested as the physical body of the Christ. From the baptism to the crucifixion, Jesus was overshadowed by Maitreya, just as the Prince Gautama had been overshadowed by Buddha. And the, uh, the Lord Maitreya, when I say Maitreya, that's the personal name of the great entity who embodies the Christ principle and who is the world teacher at the present time. He manifested himself through Jesus for these three years, from the baptism to the crucifixion. Jesus is one of the most evolved of all the masters and works daily, hourly, it seems to me, moment to moment with Maitreya there, inseparable, perhaps because Maitreya worked through him for these three years in that manifestation of the Christ. But as I say, the Christ is the name of a being only for the West. The East have all these different names for the same being and await his return in different ways at different times in their speculation. But it is only speculation. My information, I mean, if you're a a Japanese Buddhist, you will look for the return of Maitreya, the coming of Maitreya, in about 350 odd million years. And that is official, in official um, Buddhist circles in, in Japan, how they see the return of the Buddha. Well, my information is that the one they call Maitreya Buddha is already in the world and has been living in London in the Asian community of London since the 19th of July 1977. I was approached by a master in 1979 and later by Maitreya himself and was given the opportunity to walk the hierarchy and to the Maitreya. Maitreya said that he was coming in about 20 years, far sooner than anyone thought possible. He said it will be in about 20 years. And I would play in his coming if I accepted it. I had complete free, free will. I could accept it or not. I made the vow I would accept it, although I didn't know what was involved or what I had to do. I simply was inspired by the, the energies of my prayer, and in a sense, I felt I had no alternative but to say, I'm your man. I'll do it, whatever is involved. And in 1975, I began my work of journey around the world, writing books, editing the magazine Share International, and telling the world, so far as I could, that the hierarchic masters were returning in very, very soon. And already there are 12 masters in the world. Plus, no, not 12, 14 masters in the world, plus the master of all the masters. That's, in a nutshell, if you could, a big nutshell, um, my position vis-a-vis -vis this story. The message of the masters now, what do people need to do? What's the task or what's the lesson of the, the masters that are here? Well, they're here to make sure we don't destroy ourselves. We now have the, uh, the possibility of destroying all life, human and subhuman alike, on planet Earth. This has never been the case before. Humanity has made myriads 
up against it and very, very dangerously attacked by the animal kingdom and later by each other to a point that we could have died out as a race. But we have survived, we have grown, and there are now 6.7 billion people on Earth, all of them souls, most of them not knowing that they are souls. But we are all souls. We are really threefold. As the Master see us, they see that we are all of us divine. And they know themselves to be divine and demonstrate that divinity through the qualities that we recognize as divinity. And the difficulty on this planet, which is a solid physical planet with a solid physical demonstration of humanity, the, that divinity cannot reflect itself on the dense physical plane except through a medium and the medium used is that of the soul that divinity creates the human soul as an intermediary a divine intermediary between the highest aspect of ourselves which is the divine spark and the lowest aspect of ourselves which is the personality in a physical, emotional, and mental body. And that's our reality. We are not what we are, what we think we are, when we look in the mirror. We see a body, and it is not us. It's only a fragment of us, and the lowest fragment, the highest fragment of, of us, I can hardly call it a fragment, but the highest aspect of us is the spark of, of the divine. But we have to go through a process of evolution, and that's what we are all engaged in, a process of evolution whereby the soul imparts, which is identical with the divine, but at a slightly lower level of vibration. And it makes a journey in evolution, incarnating over and over and over and over again until one of its bodies, one of that long succession of personality bodies, uh, personality expressions in a physical body is sensitive enough to its own vibration. And then that person becomes more and more imbued with the quality of his or her soul and the, the process of evolution goes up a notch until finally there is no difference between the highest aspect, the divine aspect, and the lowest aspect, which is the personality aspect. The divine intermediary, the soul, is no longer needed and is reabsorbed into the highest aspect, the divine aspect. And the man or woman is then a master. We have completed the journey of evolution on this planet Earth. So really, if you look at the people on Earth, they are all on some step of a, an endless ladder to the perfection of complete identity with the divine. And this is a scientific process. It's not a mystical process, nothing mystical about it. It's a scientific process. And the masters are the agents of that scientific process because they have made the journey. They have, mm -hmm. you see, they have got there. They have finished the journey. And they know the way to go. And it's a very simple way. It's, it's a very difficult way in, in certain ways. But if we obey the rules, which humanity up till now cannot do, finds itself really impossible almost to do, then it happens. The masters have made it work and they have the guarantee that one day 
all of us will stand at the end of the journey and be divine masters, literally divine. And Maitreya calls humanity divine. He says, you are gods. You are gods. You don't know it, but you are gods. You have all the potential of divinity in you. All you have to do is to train yourself. And it's a process of self-training where you make the journey, life after life after life, always hopefully going higher, and not backward, but higher, and, and ending up as a master. Now, the masters are coming to into the world. As I say, there are 14 masters plus Maitreya. And Maitreya has, for the last year, been working openly in the sense he's still working incognito, but working openly, appearing on television in America and eventually in Japan and, and Europe and Russia and China and South America and all around the world in such a way that more and more people will know about him they may not know who he is, but they will be influenced by him. He does this incognito because he wants people to respond to what he is saying. The only way that humanity can change is by adopting what he sees as the divine way. Now, the divine way is not going to church or synagogue or, or temple every week or every day, it's, it's how you live, it's how you are, it's to do with your, your way of being, not your, your uh, religiosity, it's nothing to do with religion. He says religion is useful, it can help you, it's like a, a, a ladder, it can help you to get onto the roof. But once you're on the roof, you don't need the ladder, and you can hand the ladder over to someone else. So he's not coming as a religious teacher. He's not coming for Christians or for Buddhists or for Hindus or, or Jews or, or any other religion at all. He's not against religion. He sees it as a useful thing for a lot of people. But as a ladder to get onto a roof above religion, where you don't need religion because you're already there. He sees the divine as in everybody. You are gods, he says. You are all gods. God is already sitting inside you. You are unaware of it, but that's what you are. And what humanity needs to do is to realize what that means. What are godlike attributes, divine attributes? Well, first and foremost, the divine attribute is peace. There's no peace in the world. There's no justice in the world. And if there's no justice, there will never be peace in the world. So what we have to do is to create justice in the world. How do we do it? It seems impossible. But he says it's necessity, because if we don't create justice, there will never be peace. And if there's no peace, there will be war. And if there's even a small war, it can become a great war, a big war. And then it would be nuclear. And the nuclear armament of humanity is now so great, it would destroy all life, human and subhuman alike. So we have no alternative but to look for peace. He says, how do we find peace? How does humanity find peace? They want peace, they long for peace, but they don't know how to get it. It's so easy, he says. All you have to do is to create justice. How do you create justice? You have to create the condition of trust. How 
in the Gulf of Mexico with the oil volcano, is that going to allow people to wake up? And by waking up, will they be able to hear the Master's message better? No, I don't think so. That was an accident, and it has nothing to do with what my trainer is saying. What it is, is that the rich nations, the G7 or G8 nations of the world, you set and waste three quarters of the world's food and 83% of all other resources. So the third world, so-called, the world at which two-thirds of the population of the world live and die, must make do with 17% of the world's resources. It's extraordinary, so they die. They have huge families, for what reason? Because they know that most of them are going to die. And if they want one or two to, to live, to look after them in their old age, they have to have 10, 12, 14, 15 children, because the others, they know out of their own experience, are going to die. Five million children, babies, under five die every year from the malnourishment from having not enough to, to eat in their, in their childhood. It's, it's so simple, and we have the resources. The resources are there. There's no shortage of food. We, we make corn in vast tracts of, of land in South America and elsewhere. We turn it into corn to produce oil out of the, out of the, the, uh, the agricultural produce we, we produce oil in case there is a shortage of oil. There is enough oil in the world, according to the masters, to last for the next, at, this, at the present rate of consumption, to last for the next 70 years. 70. And yet, we make wars like in Iraq. Your president and our then yeah. prime minister attacked Iraq, not because Iraq had anything to do with with the Al-Qaeda attack on, on the... On, uh, the 9th of September 11th. September, September 11th. It was for the oil which Iraq is about the fourth highest 
latest on the oil that, that that country was attacked, that hundreds of thousands of people were killed, several thousand Americans and, and British, yeah. hundreds of thousands of Iraqis killed simply so that the greedy people could get at the oil. That's what we're up against. That is crime. It's a crime against humanity. So what's going to need to be happening? Because we watch the global economy and how America, you know, there's some who call it the Illuminati or the Council on Foreign Relations, 90 people who control the majority of the wealth on this planet. What do we need to do as individuals to take back a government or a banking system that has stolen our funds I think it's becoming transparent what's going on in that sense, but that's the big question. What do we as individuals need to do outside of a revolution? Well, we have to have a revolution, a peaceful revolution. It's a revolution in consciousness, not an actual war of revolution like the French Revolution or the American Revolution. It is a change of consciousness. We have to realize who we are. We're gods, potential gods. And we are one. Humanity is one. We think of America, Russia, China, Japan, and Europe, and so on, all different. We're not. Each single individual is a member of the human family and has the same needs. Every individual in the world has the same needs. They need first and foremost to eat. Every living creature, human or subhuman, needs to eat to live. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing, enough of the right food for everybody. Mm -hmm. We need shelter, enough of sufficient shelter for everybody. We need health care, enough proper health care for everybody, not just for British or American or French or, or Chinese or who can afford it, but for every person on earth, because we are one group. Mm -hmm. We have to wake up to this oneness of humanity. Mm -hmm. Brothers and sisters of one humanity. That is the teaching of Maitreya. That's what he comes to show humanity. They've forgotten this. They've gotten all mixed up with, with ideologies. Ideology has nothing to do with it. It's not communism against democracy or, or liberty against uh, fascism or whatever. It's not to do with ideologies. It's to do with the human reality of one group called the human humanity. And we have a part to play in the evolution of the earth. We're not the most important part, but we are a very important part. We have evolved, as everything evolves, out of the kingdom below us. The first kingdom to be laid down was the mineral kingdom. From that grew the vegetable kingdom. From that vegetable grew the animal kingdom. From the animal kingdom grew the human kingdom. We owe our physical bodies to the animal kingdom. But we're not animals. We're another kingdom. We are souls in what were animal bodies evolved from the animal kingdom but we are souls in incarnation it is the soul that incarnates and that the soul makes a succession of incarnations through all these different personalities but it's not the personality that incarnates this is as we look at ourselves now this is the personality for this particular incarnation. The next will be something different. If we're a man, we could be a woman. If, if we're a woman, we could be a man. If 
If we're Chinese, we could be Russian. If we're Russian, we could be American. If we're American, we'd be, we could be Scandinavian. Scandinavian could be, you know, New Zealand. We change all the time. And many, many people have been through many, many incarnations in different situations, in different countries, different parts of the world. There has been a tremendous movement of humanity throughout the history of its life. And to, to have oppositions, to have enemies, as I have to say it, America goes in for enemies more than any other country. You always seem to have to have an enemy. Why? You don't need enemies. You're big and strong, but you're very young. America is a very young country, but it's a very big and very powerful country, and it it flexes its muscles like a, the way a young man does, and cannot be put down, and and has to be the best, and and everything about it the best. It's childish. It's adolescent. If we can try to simplify this and we look at what's going on in the world, the level of greed on an individual basis as well as a national and a group basis, that whole concept is childish. It's as if, as a human race, we are in junior high school. Exactly. And so when you go and spend and dedicate your life to get the message out and to spread the word and help people wake up and remember, along with the rest of the masters who are here, what do you think the future world is going to look like if it like in that evolutionary process? It's going to look like it's kind of paradise. Think the highest you can think. Visualize the highest. The the most true, the most human, and the most exalted at the same time. Peace and justice, right relationship, beautiful cities, enough energy straight from the sun, and our consciousness and man-to-man relationship with the people of our sister planets. We haven't mentioned, well, you did just mention, but I haven't mentioned the space brothers, the flying saucers, or UFOs. We imagine, because we've been told, that there is no life on any other planet on our, in our system. This is not true. A planet like Mars, we are told, is devoid of life. We are going to send one day a probe to to Mars to see just what there is. There might be water there. There might be the beginnings of life somewhere. Mars is teeming with life. There are more people on Mars than there are on Earth. And it's a much, much smaller planet. The UFOs, as they're called, the the unidentified flying objects, the the saucer people, the space brothers, come from mainly planets Mars and Venus. Most of the craft, the actual spacecraft, are made on Mars. It seems to be the, the kind of factory planet where most of the big ships and spaceships are and some of them are vast. We have in our current magazine edition of Share International magazine, we have a photograph of Mount Fuji in Japan taken by a Japanese photographer and above it you see very clearly a spaceship. It is about one and a half times broader, the spaceship is about one and a half times broader than the top of Mount Fuji, which is said to be about a kilometer in in breadth, in diameter. And if you 
think of a spaceship that size, a kilometer and a half, some of them are miles long. Four miles long, a spaceship, read, read the, the teachings of, of uh, George Adamski, who came from Venus and introduced the whole awareness of the, of the space brothers and the, the UFOs, as they're called. Now today, the governments of the world are just teetering on the edge of making known about something which has been going on for the last over 60 years. Mm. It's a crime against humanity. What right have the governments of the world to keep this number one important fact from, from humanity? of life and live within the laws of life. 
and they will never harm a single human being. Is there a dimensional shift that we're going to go through, or are we just going to find ourselves, recognize ourselves as divine and be open to the brothers and sisters of the universe? That's our path. Are we going to go through a dimensional shift? Well, it's not a dimensional shift. It's a change of consciousness. It's a shift in consciousness. I mean, you don't need to be in a dimensional shift to recognize and to... I have worked with the Space Brothers since the mid-1950s, and I know the reality of them. That doesn't mean I went into different states of consciousness, of different dimensions. No, it's a different state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. They are real, but they are in the etheric levels. Now, our scientists don't recognize the etheric levels. That's the problem. They think if there's nothing on Mars or Venus, then they're dead. They're not. They're packed with life. Man is universal in in the whole of of the universe. Everywhere you could go, you would find man. Thank you so much for being here. I know there's one last question. Should we be concerned about looking for Maitreya on TV or just more concerned about our individual path? Well, it's not just one or the other. You should certainly be concerned about your individual path, but you should also be concerned that you recognize not Maitreya to be Maitreya, important, whether you recognize and say, ah, I know him, I know him, I bet that's my prayer. That's not the point. He's incognito. So he is incognito so that he knows that when we respond to what he's saying, and he's been, he will be saying what I've been talking about, as our, our identity with what we call God. And the fact of the soul and the fact of acting as such, that is sharing the resources of the world, which is what God does. These resources are given to all for the benefit of all. It's divine providence. It's not American or Russian or Chinese or whatever. It's divine providence providing enough for everybody in the world. And we have to reorganize our life so that it is spiritually based. We live in a spiritual universe, but we don't live according to the spiritual law. The spiritual law is based on right relationship, love, justice, sharing, right relationship. And in everyone's heart, it's so simple as that. Yep. And when we do that, when we see that, when we hear Maitreya on the day of declaration, when he declares himself openly as the world teacher for all, we will be transformed. Those who, I don't mean everybody on earth, but those who are ready for the transformation, those who can respond, who have who are close enough to their own identity as souls to respond, they will want for the world what he is asking for the world, which is simple. It is simply sharing and justice and peace. That's what right relationship is. That's what God is. God is another word for sharing. God is another word for freedom. God is another word for justice. God is another word for peace. These are God-like attributes. And when we make them realities, we demonstrate the nature of God. And it is a God within ourselves. I really appreciate your time, and I'm going to honor your time here. I'd like to remind everyone 
Benjamin Krem, his latest book, it's quite fascinating. It's The Gathering of the Forces of Light, UFOs and Their Spiritual Mission. I say it's a must read. You can find that online at shareinternational.org. That's with a hyphen, share-international.org. Mr. Krem, thank you so much. Glory, it's been a pleasure. I wish it were as easy to talk, always as it's been to talk to you. Well, thank you. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's program, feel free to forward it to your friends so we can share the news about the information that we learned today. I'm now going to leave you with music from the universe, brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. Have a wonderful day.